Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I am thrilled that you're listening to The God Solution Show this morning. Well, it's been an incredible past few months with great interviews with people like Josh McDowell and Dr. Sean McDowell and Dr. Frank Turek and many more. And we have some great interviews coming on the horizon as well. I wanted to preface this show by saying that we are going to be branching out onto a new station in the coming months here. There are going to be a whole lot more listeners. And because of that, we may revisit some topics that we've already discussed about on the show here. But the show has been going for over four years, so it probably won't hurt anybody to revisit some of those important topics and exciting topics. It'll be fun to get back into some of that information again and to talk about it. We'll also be interviewing some guests that have already been on the show, and that probably isn't a problem. I've loved all the guests that we've had on. You probably have too. It'll be fun to get back in touch with them and have them on the show again. So as we look forward to getting on a larger station in the next couple weeks, you'll be able to keep listening to the God Solution show right here as well. And I just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up that we're going to be going back and discussing some things we already have before, just so that you're not caught off guard by it. I thought it'd be good to just let you know that that's coming up. And with that in mind, I kind of wanted to recap what we've talked about on this show for the past four years. It's been over four years now that the God Solution Show has been running on KDUR. I'm so thankful to KDUR and the staff here in Fort Lewis College for airing this show. What a privilege it's been to spend Sunday mornings with you for the past four years talking about the evidence for God and the evidence for faith in Jesus Christ and talking about evidence from all these different spheres, from philosophy, from science, from history and archaeology, from all these different areas, even talking about personal experience of God and even talking about current research on new things like near-death experiences. That was a great interview with Dr. Gary Habermas. Anyway, it's been a fun show, and there's no way, of course, that I could get four years' worth of shows into one episode. But this morning, I thought it would be good to stand back, and as we get ready to launch on a new station, as well as keeping it on this station, I thought it would be good to just review what we've talked about for the past four years. So as I thought about this, I thought, where would I even start? We've talked about so, so much. Well, I think I have to start with the questions that we all ask, those existential questions. And I have to start there because it's human nature to ask these huge questions. We all ask them. I've talked to a few people that say, oh, no, I never think about those types of questions. And I always have a hard time actually believing them when they say that because we can't help but ask these fundamental existential questions. Questions like, who am I? Questions like, why am I here? Is it just an accident? Is it just chance? Questions like, how should I live? Questions like, what is the meaning of life? What happens after I die? Is there an afterlife? We all ask those questions. We all find ourselves thinking about them. And the answers to those questions give us meaning in life. See, if there is no God, then I am just an accident. If there is no God, there's no purpose for my life. If there is no God, there is no ethical code. We've talked about that on the show. If there is no God, there is no right or wrong. In fact, if there is no God, love, hate, kindness, and murder, they're all one and the same. They're just different bumping around of 
atoms. It's just different atomic interactions. That's all it is at the end of the day if there is no God. We all know that's not the case. We know that certain things are right and certain things are wrong and they're always right or they're always wrong. We know that it's never okay to kill someone. We know that it's never okay to hate someone. We know that it is good to love other people. We know those things. Yet, if there is no God, none of that is true. All right. What is the meaning of life? Well, if there is no God, there is no meaning to life. Literally, we could make up meaning, but ultimately we're all just going to die and the whole universe is going to go to entropy and there is no real meaning. And what's next? See, if there if there is no God, what's next is just a great big question mark. I'm just going to decay into the earth. I will cease to exist. There's no hope. There's no future. If there is no God, we don't have any purpose. We don't have any hope. None of this. So when we think about these existential questions, we realize that if there is a God, there are incredible answers to those questions. Who am I? I am a person created by God in his own image. Why am I here? I was put here for a purpose. How should I live? I should live in line with what God says is good, knowing that what he says is good is good for me. He doesn't say, do this and don't do that just to rain on my parade. He says it because he wants what's best for me and others. What's the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to grow close to God, to know him, to have a full and satisfying relationship with him, looking forward to an eternity with him in heaven. And what comes next? Well, I just said it, that eternity with him in heaven. And it's not just something that we think of as a fairy tale. In fact, a lot of religions talk about life after death. And coincidentally, their founders are all dead and buried, and you can visit their graves. When we come to Jesus, we see something unique. There has never, ever been someone that promised to give you eternal life that then conquered death himself, proving that he had the authority to conquer death for you and to give you eternal life. Jesus did that. So when we look at these existential questions, we realize that if God does not exist, there is no hope, there is no purpose, there is no meaning. It's all just an illusion. But if God does exist, we really do have hope and we really do have meaning and we can really look to the future with confidence because of what he has done. That's incredible. And that's something that we can really live with confidence and peace knowing is the case. So the answers to those existential questions are critical. But here's one that people would bring up. Well, what if what if there is no truth? How could you even know that those answers are valid? A lot of times people say, I don't believe in objective truth. Well, the second they've said that, they've just confirmed that they do believe in objective truth because the statement they made was a truth statement. It's been put this way. You cannot deny truth without affirming it. Because the second you say truth doesn't exist, you affirm that truth does exist because you just made a truth statement. And if there is any truth at all, then it's not true that truth doesn't exist. So when someone says truth doesn't exist, they're wrong if they're right and they're wrong if they're wrong. <laughs> they're wrong either way. So truth does exist. And when we look at these existential questions, we can realize not only do we have firm answers in Christ, but we actually know them truthfully, because there really is truth that we can hold on to in a chaotic world. When you look at the news and you see ISIS taking over the Middle East and beheading people indiscriminately, when you look around the world and you see 
a million babies a year in this country alone being murdered legally through abortion. When you look around the world and you see the stock market going up and down and here and there and every which way, when you look at this world and you look at the instability, which is on the horizon, which is not debated by anyone, when you look at this world and you see all the chaos going on all around you, the violence, all the craziness, you can realize there is real truth and there are real answers to the biggest questions I have. And I will argue, and I think with lots of solid evidence, that those answers are only found in Jesus Christ. So before we even get there, though, does God exist? A lot of people would say, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you get to Christianity, you got to prove that God exists. Well, I think that's a logical way to approach the problem. We can't just say, oh, yep. Just believe it because it's true. Well, I guess the atheists would have us take that easy route. Just believe atheism without evidence because they don't provide any evidence. But as a Christian, we're not going to do that. We're actually going to look at the evidence for God. Does God exist? Well, if he doesn't exist, like I said, there are no answers to life's biggest questions. If he does exist, then there are answers to life's biggest questions. So what's the evidence for his existence? Because we can't just believe in him because it's convenient and because we have nice answers that way. Ultimately, if he doesn't exist, he doesn't exist, regardless of how nice the answers work out if he does. So what's the evidence for God's existence? Well, you could go through evidence for God's existence for day after day after day after day. And I only have so much time, so I have to pick four lines of evidence that I'll stick to in this show. Again, there are many more. The first is the beginning of this universe out of nothing a finite time ago. Scientists would call this the Big Bang. Christians would call this creation. Whatever you call it, it is a proven reality that this whole universe came to exist a finite time ago, and it came to exist out of nothing. Now, we all know that the first law of thermodynamics says that you don't get something from nothing. So there had to be a non-natural or a supernatural explanation for the cause of this universe. Now, we all know that the cause is greater than the effect, so whatever brought this universe into being was greater than this universe, namely God. He had the power to bring everything that you see into existence. All the information that you find in the world around you began with him. He's all-knowing. Time began with him. He's eternal. All matter was created by him. He's all-powerful. He created it in a way that uniquely allows life on this earth to exist and for us to enjoy life and relationships and love and all these wonderful attributes so we, we know God is loving and good. When we look just at the reality that this earth and this universe began to exist a finite time ago and they began out of nothing, we realize God exists. But not only that, we realize that the God that exists matches all the characteristics of the God that is described in the Bible, all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal, all-loving, all these characteristics that the Bible says are attributes of God, we find them in the very creation of the universe itself. Phenomenal. So does God exist? Well, the very beginning of this universe says he does. It's actually been put this way. This is the Kalam cosmological argument. It says everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe had a cause. That's a philosophical wording of the argument, and it's airtight. It can't be defeated, and that's backed up by physics and science as well. What other evidence do we have for God's existence? Well, we have the engineering of this universe and this planet in particular for life. 
There are so many different attributes that if they were off by the slightest amount, life on this earth would not be possible. This earth is so perfectly situated for life, and not just life, but for human life. And we know that that is no accident. This earth was literally designed for life. This universe was literally designed so that us here on this earth could live. The design of the universe points to a designer, to a creator. You don't ever see design and attribute it to randomness. We know that when we see design, that there was a designer behind it. And the design argument is very powerful for God's existence. It actually led Antony Flew, the most famous atheist of the last century before Dawkins took that distinguishment. Anyway, he came to believe in God. Antony Flew came to believe in God because of the design argument for God's existence, the teleological argument, as philosophers would call it, for God's existence. All right, what other evidence is there for God's existence? Well, standards and morality. What are you talking about? I briefly mentioned it a minute ago, talking about these existential questions and how should I live that question. Well, the reality is we all know that there are things that are right and things that are wrong, and they're always that way. And that could not be the case if God did not exist. In fact, the argument's been phrased philosophically like this. If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. Objective moral values do exist, therefore God exists. It's an argument that can't be defeated. There's no way to show how there can be objective morality outside of God's existence. Now, people would try and give you lots of different rebuttals to that. They might say that morality is just a byproduct of evolution and natural selection. We evolved to feel that certain things were right and certain things were wrong because that helped us survive in societies with other people. Well, it's just as easy to see an evolutionary scenario where the opposite would be true, where the person that domineered and raped and pillaged actually was able to get more of his genes out so he would have survived passing on those morals to his offspring. Even if evolution could provide a basis for a moral perspective or moral feelings, it would not be objective, though, because it would only be a feeling, a biological feeling that you have. It would have no correspondence to reality. We couldn't say that murder is actually wrong, just that evolution predisposed you to feel like it was wrong. So when we get to the reality that we know that murder is wrong, regardless of how you feel about it, we realize there has to be a standard outside the material universe, a standard that all human beings everywhere are compared against. That standard is greater than us, and we're held accountable to that standard. We know that certain things are right and certain things are wrong, and that drives me directly to the reality that there is a moral law giver and enforcer that's greater than I. That is the moral argument for God's existence. And again, if you think that's a weak argument, think again. Francis Collins, one of the most famous scientists of our time, who led the Human Genome Project, sequencing the human genome, became a Christian because of that argument for God's existence, the moral argument for God's existence. On a side note, so did C.S. Lewis. That's how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, by the way, if you don't know who he is, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. All right. So those are a few reasons to believe that God exists. I have to throw in one more, and that's the truth about Jesus. And I say that because the Bible claims that Jesus is God in human flesh. And if that's true, then the man Jesus Christ would provide quite the tangible evidence of God himself interacting with us on this planet. But 
for that kind of claim, you need incredible evidence. Fortunately, we have it. The Bible records Jesus' life, his teachings, his miracles, his death, his resurrection. And guess what? There are extra-biblical sources outside of the Bible from secular and even hostile sources that confirm what we read in the Bible, many of them. The reality is that we can trust that Jesus really did live and die on this planet, and he really did rise again to give us new hope. He really did have power over life and death. He had power over nature, and he demonstrated conclusively that he alone was God in human flesh, worthy of your trust and worthy of your life. So the reality that we can see that Jesus actually had power over life and death, and we can see that is historically evidenced, points to the reality that God surely does exist, and he actually manifests himself as a man on this planet 2,000 years ago. But why should I believe in Jesus? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution Show on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. Thanks so much for listening. Well, I mentioned earlier that in a few weeks we'll be launching on another station, a large station, and that's going to be exciting. You'll be able to keep listening to The God Solution Show right here as well. And I am kind of recapping what we've talked about for the past four years plus on this show. Of course, you can't get it all into half an hour, but we're doing our best. So far, we've talked about the existential questions that we all ask, the reality that truth really does exist, and you can't possibly deny that without affirming it. We've talked about some of the evidence for God's existence and the reality that because he exists, we can have hope and purpose and meaning. Now I want to talk about why I believe in Jesus, why I'm a Christian, because I can't just say God exists, therefore Christianity is true, because proving God's existence only gets me to theism. It doesn't get me to Christianity. So why do I believe in Jesus? Well, it starts with the Bible. Why do I believe that the Bible is trustworthy? Well, first of all, there is prophecy throughout the Bible, thousands of prophetic verses that talked about things to come in the future. And guess what? They've been fulfilled with incredible accuracy, unbelievable accuracy. I could go through many of those. You could go to godsolutionshow.com and check out some of our shows on prophecy in the Bible. It's amazing. Most importantly, though, we see messianic prophecy about Jesus Christ. Between one and 300 messianic prophecies. I say between one and 300 because there are over 100 that are very clearly about Jesus, things that could not possibly apply to anyone else, where he'd be born, how he would die, etc. There are also a few hundred, 200 or so, that are prophetic of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, but they're also verses that you could make a case were a little bit vague, all right? So even if you got rid of those that are a little bit vague, we still have over 100 clear prophecies of Jesus, and he fulfilled them all. So the prophetic significance of the Bible cannot be ignored. There's no way that that could possibly be the case if it was not divinely inspired by God. Next, the Bible is archaeologically accurate. It's been said in recent literature, actually, that there has never been an archaeological find that has disproved the Bible. That's quite amazing. There have been a few that they said disproved the Bible, but they had to backtrack on those quite quickly. The archaeological evidence supports the Bible and the historicity of all that we read in the Bible. Next, the Bible is contradiction-free. This is incredible. We've all heard, you know, you can't believe the Bible because it's full of contradictions. Well, guess what? 
that statement is incorrect. I've read through all the supposed contradictions, and I always laugh at the lengths to which the critic will go to try and find a contradiction. Here's one. A lot of times atheists say, well, the Bible says pi equals 3.0. And I say, gosh, that's funny. The Bible isn't a math textbook. It's not a science textbook. It is a description of how we can have a relationship with God. It talks about scientific principles. It might mention math only as we would talk about different sums and additions and things like that in language, but it's surely not a math textbook. How did you figure out that the Bible says that pi equals 3.0? Well, they refer to this artistic object that Solomon had his artists build, this large basin, and they hammered the whole thing out of metal. Well, the Bible gives the dimensions for that basin, and if you do the math, it comes out to pi equaling 3.0. That's not a statement that pi equals 3.0. That's just an actual measurement that tells you those artists got that basin pretty darn close to exactly a circle at the top on the rim. All right, so that's just an example of how these atheists will go to whatever lengths they have to to try and prove a contradiction, and in reality, it does not exist. Okay, the Bible's been translated correctly. That's a wonderful one. A lot of times people will say, how could we even believe the Bible? Because, you know, the telephone game, one thing gets started at the beginning, who knows what comes out at the end. Well, the reality is that we have thousands and thousands and thousands of early manuscripts. If you've listened to some of our recent interviews, in particular, we talked with Craig Evans and Josh McDowell about recent manuscript finds. The number of those manuscripts is exponentially growing. And the reality is that because we have so many of these ancient manuscripts, we can compare them and see exactly what was originally written. When we see things that were added later or changed later, we can compare with the other manuscripts and see what was originally written and what was changed over time. Because we have so many manuscripts, we can see those things and we can be confident in the text that we have in the scriptures. All right, finally, science in the Bible. And with my background in chemistry, I love this one. I love seeing science in the Bible. Again, just like I said with prophecy, we see God's fingerprints on his word. We see that with science as well. The Bible talks about things like radioactive decay. It talks about the expansion of the universe, which is still occurring. It talks about the beginning of the universe from nothing a finite time ago. It says, just in line with modern science, that it began with light. You could go on and on and on about scientific statements that we find in the Bible. They're all there. Again, the Bible isn't a scientific textbook, but it has so many scientific statements that show God's fingerprints on it. For those reasons and many more, again, I can't elaborate, I believe that we can trust the Bible and all it says about God. So somebody might say, well, I have some criticisms. Aren't science and religion at odds? Nope, they're not. Again, like I said, my degree in college was chemistry. There are many great scientists. I mentioned another one a minute ago, Francis Collins, arguably one of the greatest scientists of the last century. There are many great scientists that realize that science and Christianity are not at odds. That is a false argument against faith in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, a lot of people have ran with it, and they've not investigated any further, and that's kind of a bummer. But that is not a valid criticism of Christianity. Another one that people bring up is the problem of pain. If God is good and all-powerful, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why is there evil in the world? Well, that 
misunderstands who God is. See, God isn't just in this thing for this thing. God says there's something more than this world. There's an eternity that we can all look forward to. He doesn't cause evil on this planet, but he can allow humans that have free will to do evil things. And he can allow that knowing that he can even, in spite of their worst sin, accomplish his goal of bringing the most people possible freely into his eternal kingdom, heaven. So why is there pain and suffering and evil on this planet if God is good and all-powerful? Well, God gave you free will, and sometimes you and I both choose to use it for very wrong reasons. And he also allows those things to happen, knowing that he can produce greater eternal good in spite of them. All right, so it's not a valid criticism of Christianity. And on that note, the atheist has to answer that question, too. If God doesn't exist, nothing's truly evil. And, of course, none of us would say that. So the atheist, I think, has more of a problem with that question than the Christian does. Finally, a lot of people say, well, there's no evidence for God or for Christianity. That's an ignorant statement. That's the only way to put it. I have briefly summarized some of it on this show today, and there's much more that we could get into. But the reality is that there's tons of evidence for the existence of God, for the reliability of the Bible, for the historicity of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, and for all that the Bible tells you about how you can have a relationship with God. And that's where we tie all this together. See, in God, there's hope, meaning, purpose. There's a future that you can look forward to. If God doesn't exist, none of that exists. And in Christ, we actually get real tangible evidence of that. He really did conquer death, and he promised to do it for all those who would put their trust in him. If you've never put your trust in him, you can realize today there is no other person that's ever said what Jesus did, did what he did, promised you what he promised you, and then proved that he had the authority to do it. It's never happened. He alone can say what he says. And he says that if you put your faith and your trust in him, he'll forgive you. He'll adopt you into his family. He'll give you a life of meaning and purpose on this planet and an eternity to look forward to in heaven. He says if you want to put your faith and trust in him, that involves asking him to be your Lord. He literally wants to take over the driver's wheel of your life. Sometimes it's so hard to let go of that control. But he says, surrender to me as Savior and Lord. I will forgive you. I'll give you an eternal life with me in heaven, a life of meaning on this planet, and I'll change you from the inside out. If you want to take that step today, you could verbalize that through prayer. This isn't a magic trick, but it's just a way of verbalizing your faith. You could say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again to give me new life. I ask you to be my Savior and Lord, and today I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. The Bible says if you took that step today, that you began a relationship with God by faith, not by any work that you've ever done, not by being good enough, not by going to church, but simply by putting your faith and your trust in him. So what an exciting thing. I hope you took that step if you haven't already, and I hope that if you have taken that step that you'll continue growing in your relationship with God. Well, today we kind of summarized a lot of what we've talked about for the past four years. I get excited talking about this stuff. If you want to hear more in-depth shows that go into each of these areas a lot more in-depth, go to godsolutionshow.com. Again, that's godsolutionshow.com. Go to past shows, and you'll see 
over 200 past shows talking about all this stuff in detail. And we do get to interview some of the biggest authorities in the world on these topics. So definitely check out those shows. And as we look to the future, keep listening to The God Solution Show right here on KDUR and get ready to also be on another station that covers a lot of territory. It'll be exciting to be reaching more people with this show. Well, it's been a great four years having you in the audience. I'd love to hear back from you. Go to godsolutionshow.com and use the contact form. I'd love to know how this show has influenced you and what it means to you. Or if you have any questions you'd like us to answer on the show, let me know. It would be great. Well, it's Sunday morning, and a great way to grow with God would be to visit a local church. Go to godsolutionshow.com and see the local churches tab. I'll have local churches and the times and the places that they meet, and I would encourage you to visit some of those churches this morning. Pick one and visit it and grow in your walk with God. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Oh,